As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Would you like to receive a brief weekly video from me? And when I say brief, I mean three to five minutes tops in which I address a common issue or question facing racers just like you and me who are constantly striving to become the very best version of ourselves on the racetrack. We're calling it the Elite Insider. Sign up for free at thisisbracketracing.com slash Elite Insider. That's all one word. Again, thisisbracketracing.com slash Elite Insider. And it's all that we know, it's the way you lie. Give all that we got, one at a time. Do whatever we got to do. We never know if it's our one last ride. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome to, or welcome back to, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed, where we sometimes talk about Jim Rod Cap and Chet Dragon. Big Jed, how are you? Bogak, I am well. Thank you for asking. I'm just getting in the holiday spirit around here. Just really excited about the upcoming holidays and you know, upgrades to the car and whatnot over the winter, just typical winter stuff on my mind, but doing really well. Thanks for asking, bud. It is that time of year. Jed, as we record, full transparency, you guys won't get this until sometime Wednesday, but we're recording Monday evening. And as we record, the NHRA champions are in Hollywood getting crowned. Mm. 
We're a day removed from the NHRA finals in Pomona. Lots and lots of drama from Pomona. No shortage of that. Uh, admittedly, most of that drama from the professional ranks, which will actually is a little out of our wheelhouse, but we'll touch on a little bit because uh, a lot of it has some sportsman roots, but also some good stuff from the sportsman categories, which is our focus. So today's episode is all about crowning the champions. Big Jed, let's start with the NHRA Lucas Oil Series and talk about this year's edition of the NHRA World Champs. Gotta hear this. This week on What Everyone is Talking About. All right, Luke, as you mentioned, uh, the champs were crowned in Pomona, and they're obviously getting crowned now or as we speak. But some of those uh, championships were decided prior to that, and some were decided there. So we'll go down the list and, and talk about which was which in the comp category, Frank Aragona. Luke, back to back years, uh, dominant year, once again, just truly, truly owns that class right now. Frank performed extremely well this year. Yeah, they came in with a with a new car. He teased it here on the podcast when we talked to him uh, what last uh, December, maybe January, uh, how excited he was about the new combination. Uh, essentially, or the new car, I should say, essentially let him transfer the existing combination, which they know like the back of their hand, to a different style car with a clean index. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. He basically ran over the category this season. Yes, he did. Uh, seemed like he could go whatever he wanted to go so great performance yeah, there by frank another combine that with with his championship pedigree and his ability behind this behind the wheel and it's almost an unbeatable combination speaking of exceptional racers behind the wheel the top sportsman category again was won by sandy wilkins and sandy luke just a dominant performer in that category seemingly every year i, I don't know how he continues to do it but sandy did it again yeah, no doubt. Been a, a championship waiting to happen for a couple of years now. This year, it does happen for him. There's a little bit of drama there. Uh, obviously, the last top sportsman event of the season is the Vegas division race. We talked about it on a previous episode. Doug Crumlich was the only racer that had a chance to overtake uh, Sandy Wilkins at Vegas. Crumlich had to win the event. He didn't get there, but he went a few rounds enough to... Uh, it would have made me nervous if I was Sandy Wilkins. I think Crumlich lost in either round three or round four of that six-round event, which uh, clinched the deal, clinched the championship for Sandy Wilkins. So a great championship there by Sandy. And now let's move to top dragster, Luke, where we talked about this gentleman and the run that he made in one of our BT who's hots. But Danny Nelson, do I remember correctly that Danny's 64? I think he's 64, chassis builder out of Arkansas, uh, part-time or maybe even full-time uh, gambler. Danny went on an amazing run through the summer and I guess maybe early fall and uh clinched the top dragster championship with just a i don't know a six eight week stretch there it was super impressive or six eight race stretch that was super impressive yeah again discussed that before here on the show but danny started his season in very mediocre fashion i think the first five or six events he went to failed to get out around three and then he went to five or six events where he didn't do anything but win i think there was one semi and five wins and towards the end of that is really where it got exciting between he and jeff strickland former world champion in that it was a heavyweight battle which you would expect from those two but just haymakers back and forth. Danny would win. Jeff would win. 
win. Danny would win. Jeff would win. Ends up with Danny Nelson on top in a hard-fought battle for his first NHRA World Championship. Yeah, congratulations, Danny. That was awesome. And uh, speaking of awesome, the stock champion proved that hitting the practice tree is a very important important part of the program as Allison Dahl collected the stock championship, Luke. That was really cool to see. Allie made it look easy. First, when Kevin McKenna was on, the best of uh, his recollection, and I'm sure he's verified this since, from super stock down, so excluding the alcohol classes and excluding competition eliminator, Allie becomes the first racer in NHRA Lucas Oil Series history to record a perfect divisional score. You only get to go to eight races. You have to claim five of them. She claimed five victories. Late season charge, two of those victories were the last two events that she went to on the divisional side. So clutch performance late. And another interesting note, I was talking about this with McKenna. I believe that, I know Allie became the first stock eliminator world champion. I believe she's just the fifth female to win a world championship in the sportsman categories, which just by quick process of elimination makes her the first or her and her husband doug the first husband and wife duo to each earn nhra national championships as doug did it a few years back in competition eliminator so pretty cool side note to that as well yeah very cool tidbit there so those uh, aforementioned champions were decided prior to the um the world finals the next three were decided at the world finals and in super comp loop a championship that we have seen coming for quite some time, been waiting on for quite some time. But Ray Ray, as they call him, Ray Miller III, collects that Super Comp Championship uh, by wrapping it up out there in Pomona. Yeah, Ray Ray essentially, he didn't put this out of reach, but he put himself in a really good position back in late September when he doubled up at the divisional event in Galat. Really stretched out his Super Comp lead at that time. And then he helped his, his cause again at the divisional at Rockingham, where he went four rounds or so just to stretch it out even further. As they went west, the only real contender to the championship was Division Six racer Brian Presler. And Presler was a big threat simply because he could still improve his score at each of the last three races, both the Vegas National Event, the Vegas Points Meet, and Pomona. He went a couple of rounds at each of the first two races, ended up to where he had to win in Pomona to overtake Ray Ray. He won first round and then went down in round number two, which cinched the deal and clinched the championship for Ray Ray. But he had a massive score, 670 plus points that if you didn't win the championship with that many points, it would be criminal. And as we've talked about before, Ray Ray is a guy that has been knocking on the door for a decade and has had some near misses. And I think he removes his name from that short list of exceptional racers that like that's the one thing missing is a national championship now he's got that ray ray he's been a national champion he's been an all-stars winner he's won the million like you name it if you put the mount red mount rushmore of, of sportsman drag racing up ray ray's checking all the boxes no doubt very good stuff there and then chassis builders went in the top dragster and super comp category so that's a definitely an endorsement for those products and luke and super gas one of the coolest cars in the field in the category to me gets it done, but the the drivers has got a lot of wonderful things happening in his life, and obviously just added this Super Gas World Championship to it. Jeremy Mason collects that Super Gas Wally, which is uh, really cool for him. How good is it to be Jeremy Mason right now? <laughs> yeah, really good. <laughs> To your point, I'll let, I'll let you uh, get into uh, all the good things going on in Jeremy's life. 
but uh, the Chevy 2 that he drives in Supergas, really cool car, really cool backstory. If I understand it right, it was Jeremy's first race car. I believe it still has the money winner sticker that he won at London Dragway when he was like 15. And it's gone through a complete overhaul at McIlvain Race Cars. It is one of the nicest Supergas cars in the country. But in a world of... 170 plus mile an hour Corvette Roadsters that is super gas. Uh, Jeremy's doing it in a, in a somewhat unconventional way. Like it's not that if his car is slow, but it's, I think like 155. It's a, it's a full bodied Chevy two. It, I don't know exactly what it weighs, but it looks heavy, right? It's mostly steel. It's not super fast. And he just goes out there and makes really, really nice runs, obviously to the tune of a world championship. So I think it's, I think it's a testament to what those classes were originally developed for and what they're all about in that you don't you there's a lot of different ways to go about it from Steve Williams 990 at 180 to Tim Nicholson 990 at 105 pulling gears to Jeremy Mason somewhere in between like it's just it's really cool to see and especially given that backstory neat to see champ go about it in a little bit more unconventional method. Yeah, no doubt about it. Again, as you said, cool car, and and there's a lot of good things happening in Jeremy's life. Uh, He and his wife just brought a new baby into the world, which uh, he was home going through all of that uh, with the newborn and I guess watching his fate be decided in uh, Pomona while he's doing that. So had to be uh, an absolute roller coaster of emotions for Jeremy, but congratulations to him on getting it done and and the wonderful uh, things that are happening. And his point situation was similar to, to Ray Ray's and Supercomp. Once they got to Pomona, uh, it was Jim Rod Capiello was the only Supergas competitor that had a chance to overtake Jeremy Mason, just like Brian Presler was for Ray Ray Miller. And in that same situation, Capiello, that's, that's our man, Jim Rod, Jim Rod Cap, Jim Rod Cap. <laughs> Jim Rod had a chance to win the world. He had to win Pomona to do it. And it was round two also for him. It actually looked like he had problems. I assume he broke something. He was like a, a second or two over the 990 index after a competitive reaction time. So that's a tough break. But obviously a really cool moment for Jeremy Mason, who, as you mentioned, is sitting at home, new baby. He actually had a national event left on the ledger. So there was thoughts like maybe he'll go to Pomona. I didn't realize what he had going on in his personal life that obviously made that to where it, it wasn't an option. Could have gone there and improved his score and or played blocker had he chosen to do so. Yeah, good choice by Jeremy, and it all paid off with a with a Super Gas World Championship. So great for him. And the Superstock category, Luke, was probably the most exciting or, or definitely one of. Uh, does that come down to the late rounds? And Vic Penrod gets the Superstock World Championship. Penrod comes into Pomona in the exact same position as Ray Ray Miller, as Jeremy Mason. There was one driver with a chance to catch him, and that driver had to win the NHRA finals in order to clinch the championship. In the case of Superstock and Vic Penrod, that driver was Kyle Rizzoli. Unlike Jim Rod Cap, unlike Brian Presler, Rizzoli made a real legitimate run at this thing. He was in at Pomona on Sunday. In the semifinal round, literally two win lights away from not only winning the NHRA Finals, but with it, the NHRA World Championship. If that's not drama, I don't know what is. Standing in his way to win said championship 
just a little known unheralded driver from upstate New York by the name of Dan Fletcher. Jed, can you think of any one person you would least like to see in the other lane with all of that on the line <laughs> than Dan Fletcher? No, probably not. Uh, I mean, a guy that obviously has uh, his legacy is is set and has uh, a tremendous amount of wins under his belt in the category. So, no, that's not the guy you want to see over there for sure. And to that end, Riz makes a nice lap with the pressure on. I think he's 14, one above, no good. Fletcher's six, take less than 100, uh, both of them on the brakes. Fletcher wins, ends Rizzoli's hopes at a world championship. Uh, Rizzoli, by the way, was also still in stock eliminator on Sunday, ended up a runner-up in stock at Pomona. So a hell of a weekend for him, but obviously that's a gut punch, losing the round that is you know two win lights away from the championship. His run to that point, Jed? That in itself, dramatic, right? His run to that point got a little bit bizarre. I don't know if you saw this. It was in round (laughs) four, which was late Saturday afternoon. So that's the quarterfinal round. I I have to pull up the opponent now, and I can do that. But Rizzoli's the faster car uh, by about a second, I believe. Let me pull up the run where I can tell you the exact date, the exact numbers here. This would have been Superstock round four. And I know this is fantastic podcast listening. I apologize. It's real, Luke. It's It's, real. That's what what our fans love. That's a good point. All right. Saturday (laughs) wrap. Oh, man, I got to go way back in the archives. And I will say before you get all this information pulled up that as I'm watching the results on Drag Race Central on my phone, I see that run. And I had no idea what happened. But in my head, and when you give these numbers, think about where I was in this position. I think a lot of people were in my head. It's like, there is no way that that happened it's not possible there's not a scenario unless someone was standing in front of the car that says this run happened and now as you'll explain it it makes a lot more sense yes okay so here's the situation seven cars left round four kyle rizzoli gtc automatic camaro dialed 962 his opponent tim hall superstock j automatic dialed 1029 so almost seven tenths head start the tree starts down Obviously, Tim Hall leaving first. And my understanding of this, this is odd that I haven't seen video of this. I thought this would go viral. If it is, I haven't seen it. But the tree starts down for Tim Hall. First light, first amber, second amber, third amber. And then as Tim Hall leaves, I guess, like I'm not an electrician, I assume that the tree like shorted out or lost power to the tree, but the rest of the timing system is still functioning properly. Like the lights go out on the tree. So Tim Hall gets yellow, 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 nothing, right? The third amber doesn't hang. There's no green. There's no red. Whether or not Tim Hall saw that, I have no idea, right? But at the same time, Kyle Rizzoli, keep in mind, seven-tenths behind. Kyle's first amber comes on. My understanding from what I've heard, second amber, like, just flashes for an instant and nothing. No second, no bottom, no green, no red. And at some point, Kyle Rizzoli, who I'm sure is very confused, because in 30 <laughs> years of doing this, I have never seen an instance like this. I assume Kyle's the same way. At some point, he just decides to let go. He's 223 on the tree. But again, what are you letting? This is, brings a whole new definition to letting go on nothing, Jed, right? <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing <it> there. <laughs> so Tim Hall, who again, like, got a clean third amber, is 40. Riz is 223. Tim Hall goes one thousandth of a second under the dial in. Rizzoli only goes one above, two tenths behind, for the win. 
And now here we've got, of all people, it's once again, it's it's division director, race director, Mike Rice on the hot seat. And it seems like we keep talking about Mike Rice in these situations. Bless Mike's heart, right? First off, the division director has the most thankless job in the world because I don't care what you do, the most you could hope to be is equanimous and, and fair, but no one's going to like you because you have to make hard decisions, right? Okay. Here he is, and he just, like, we've brought his name up on the podcast three times now with Mike Rice. He was the decision behind the Jerry Emmons disqualification. It's that one you could argue he brought upon himself, right? Like, that didn't have to be a decision made. He, he created attention by, by creating a disqualification there. We just talked about him at Indy after the, the Johnny LaBoose situation, which, in fairness to Mike, I came out here on the podcast and said I felt like he made the wrong decision. But reasonable minds can disagree there. Like, I see the argument for making the call that he did. Sure. And I think reasonable minds could disagree on this one. But the decision was made not to rerun that round, which is interesting because we talked about this a little bit off air, Judd, but in Tim Hall's case, like, I think it's very plausible that if I was Tim Hall, let's say I'm staring at the third amber, it lights up, I let go of the switch or I mash the throttle. And I may not even see that I don't have a green or a red. Like the third amber went off. I would just assume that I'm green, right? Race on. Yep. But to that end, assuming that he was looking for a green light and never saw one, and then there's no red light, there's no hanging yellow, there's no wind lights on, like I could just see him being in a state of confusion going down the racetrack. That would obviously alter his ability to drive the finish line. The other side of that argument is the dude took two tenths. Like he broke out. It's out. But my argument is... If he's not a thousand thunder, if he's dead on zero, his wind light comes on, and then I think it's an obvious rerun, right? Like Kyle didn't have a fair chance to see the tree. Right. So in that, if in fact that is the case, Tim Hall had a chance to lose the round, and Kyle Rizzoli didn't. How is that fair? It doesn't seem to be. So that 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 would be my argument there. And who knows? Like if the tree comes down, uh, let's say that that this didn't affect Tim Hall's run at all. Right, he's forty and a thou under, but if the tree comes down for Kyle, like there's a chance he's red, there's a decent chance that he's thirty and takes fifteen to be a couple thou further under. Yes, I, I just forget what's on the line. Like I, I, this sounds contradictory because I railed against Mike Rice at Indy saying, "No, man, you can't question your timing system. Like you can't just create a rerun. You can't have a rerun at this level." Well, this to me is a little bit different because I assume there's video footage of like the tree stops working. So at that point, it's not as if you're questioning the timing system. Like there's proof something went wrong. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, I, I think a rerun is legitimized. So I hate to rail against him for having a rerun at Indy and then rail against him for not having a rerun at Pomona. But I, I think I err on the other side of this. Or I, I think, again, I think reasonable minds could disagree. But I think in my mind, the right call would have probably been to rerun that round. Yeah, I would agree, Luke. It's, you know, anytime you've got a scenario where the rerun would only happen if the guy loses, well, you know, if he won, I mean, if the rerun wouldn't happen only if he loses, because if he won, we know it would have been a rerun. There's there's no doubt. Well, I say there's no doubt. There, I guess there's a smidgen of doubt, but I can't for the imagine most part, a scenario in which, right, yeah. Yeah, for the most part, you would say there's no doubt had... Uh, had the right lane one or the other lane one that there would have been a rerun. So I can't, can't see where that was uh, 
as good a decision as could have been made because uh, it should have been a rerun no matter what the results were. Because I agree, there's a good chance Kyle drives the wheels off of it at the other end and, you know, gets a couple of thou under instead of one thou. So um, I, I believe that that should have been a rerun as much as I love Kyle. I, and I think he'd probably feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, like I said, tough call. I don't envy my crisis position, but that one I think is uh, is questionable. So let's move on. Congratulations to our NHRA Lucas Oil Series world champions. And honestly, congratulations to everybody that fell just short, especially those that took this all the way to the final event of the year or their final event of the year. Um, just being in that conversation is obviously something to be proud of and something that you tell your grandkids about years from now. There were another, what, 32 competitors at Pomona that I think will all probably tell their grandkids about their experience, and that is the the Summit ET Finals participants. Most of you are familiar with the, the format. Each of the seven division champions in each respective category, plus the, the wild card winner in each class, comes to Pomona to represent their division to run off for the NHRA World Championship and the Super Pro Sportsman and ET motorcycle classes. And Jed, we'll start with Super Pro, uh, but this is the perfect time. We're, we're going to mix in a little bit of, uh, of BTE here because this year's Super Pro World Champion is also the recipient of this week's BTE, Who's Hot? He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. BTE staff is selected directly from the racing community. From sales to manufacturing, each member of their staff is a performance enthusiast. With multiple world championships and number one qualifiers, they offer expert professional technical advice for your racing operation. See our staff directory. Our commitment to your success is part of our own. So Luke, this week's BTE Who's Hot Racer is a uh, Summit ET National Championship uh, a champion now. Uh, just uh, got that crown in Pomona. Uh, has gone back-to-back years, so maybe that's even a little extra added pressure. But Mikey Sturgill stepped it up for Division Three and got the Super Pro Championship in Pomona. Yeah, Mikey's story is pretty incredible. Uh, it was a year ago in 2018. He uh, got the opportunity to represent Division Three in Pomona on the strength of not only winning the ET Finals in Division Three, but sweeping the ET Finals. He won both the Race of Champions and the Super Pro main event, uh, culminated just in an incredible season of winning his local track championship, winning a bunch of big dollar races in the area, uh, running the table at the ET Finals. Goes to Pomona. He was 1,000 red in round one, and his opponent was like a second over the dial in. I mean, just one of those complete throw up when you get the time slip moments, right? Yes. And um, I know this just because we... We, we put together a really cool video for Mikey and for each of our This Is Bracket Racing Elite members that went to Pomona. If you haven't seen that, uh, you can f- actually find it on Mikey's personal Facebook page. Um, but in that video, I, I interviewed um, Mikey's father and his mother and his girlfriend and Dean McElvain, who is his chassis builder, and just found a little bit more about his story. And um, it was incredible because each and every one of them basically said when he got out of the car in Pomona last year, you know, there's obviously that that air of, of devastation and, and hopelessness, but it did not last long. 
And Mikey looked at each of them and said, soak this in because this isn't the last time that we'll be here. We're coming back. I don't think anyone expected it to be the very next year. <laughs> but <laughs> this year, Division Three got the, the bonus of having the, the wild card in the Super Pro category, which means they get to send two representatives. So where they would normally just send the, the ET bracket finals Super Pro champion to Pomona, they elected to also send the Race of Champions winner. Well, for a second consecutive year, Mikey rolled through the Race of Champions to win the Division Three Race of Champions and punch his ticket back to Pomona. Where this time around, he turned on three win lights to hoist the national championship trophy, just as he kind of called a shot that he would a year prior. Um, and in doing so, it was really impressive. I, the one that stood out to me, Jed, I don't know if you looked through round by round for Mikey Sturgill. Uh, he I ended did. up get, getting the final round win over, over Dave Mazir. Uh, Mazir went red. But first round, Sturgill, who's in a, is in a 760 dragster, runs uh martin i think it's rachel division six runner um and martin's in a slower door car like a 10 teen door car and makes a solid run i think he was uh like 12 and one above two so 24 total which again you eighth mile bracket racers out there go ah 24 total keep in mind this is on the long track and it is sunday at pomona with thousands of people watching and you haven't been down the track in 24 plus hours. I would take 24 total. Solid. You better believe it. Mikey Sturgill is 10, take 11 to be dead on three, which looks impressive in and of itself. And then you see like 161 mile an hour on the and on the, in the final he went 178. So he's on 17 mile an hour against a 10 team car to roll him through 11 to be dead on. That's a nice lap. Like that could have easily gone the other way. Um, that was the stand on your head moment. Um, knocks out Jay Allen, then the the, the other Division Three representative in round two, and then as we said, a red lighting uh, Dave Mazir in the final round to crown Mikey Sturgill uh, the 2019 Summit ET Super Pro World Champion, and also uh, the deserving winner recipient of this week's bte who's hot yeah congratulations mikey that was a, a really big deal and as we said having gone out last year and, and had that crushing loss in round number one and then come back with all that on you and obviously drove very well so very deserving of the championship and the bte who's hot for this week so great job there by mr sturgill but luke there were other champions crowned in the uh summit et series and we'll start out with uh pro or go to pro next the pro category which is bottom bulb that's uh that is the the class where you can either foot break or leave on the trans break and division six chris johnston a very well-known racer especially in that part of the country very talented goes out and gets the pro national championship there which uh, with a big win yeah really uh impressive showing for chris johnston um, got the final round win over Brian Hughes, which Hughes was a heartbreaking one thou red. But Johnson was solid. Johnson was solid throughout the day. In the three rounds, he was like 21, 30, 33. Um, solid bottom ball action. In first round, he was 21, take six. And then he got red lights in round two and in the final. Uh, but he'd have been tough to beat regardless. So congrats to Chris Johnston on 
the pro ET win. Uh, in sportsman, it was Division Five runner, um, another racer that I'm familiar with, and Ryan Montford getting the final round victory over a racer that I know you're familiar with, Division Two's yeah. Jake Ball. Yeah, Montford getting that win over Jake. Uh, Jake is, uh, you know, my division racer, but he is um, probably as well known for being Fast and Fincham, Hot Rod Rodney Fincham's son. Uh, Jake obviously has a great mentor and teacher to follow in racing and took his ride all the way to the final round. But Ryan Monford was not to be denied. Uh, he didn't make the greatest of run in round number one, which I can imagine all that's on you and you're in a sportsman car hitting the bottom, but continued to improve those runs as he made his way to the final against ball and eventually lays down a, a 16 bulb and fourth out under. Uh, Jake kind of went the other way. Jake was making really good runs early in the first couple of rounds with a 20 and a perfect bulb. Nice uh, eight thou package. Uh, no, a nice 12 thou package to be dead eight off the perfect react going into the final and then uh, come up a little short, just missed it in the final. I uh, was 78 on the tree, got there a couple of hun, but he was nine under. His opponent obviously laid down a, a great reaction time and under the dial. Jake goes and takes the stripe. Car was faster than he expected it to be, and I'm sure he knew he missed it, and that's probably weighing on him all the way down. But uh, Monford out of Division 5, I uh, know um, he's uh, close to our good friend Luke Siebert, Siebert Performance, and obviously a very talented racer. I looked him up a little bit, and this guy knows how to get to the winner's circle. So congratulations to Ryan Monford out of Division 5 for getting the big sportsman win over a very tough competitor. No and, doubt. And then, Luke, and uh, what our listeners have obviously been waiting to hear, the uh, bike Summit ET National Championship. I know we've got a lot of listeners that uh, care a lot about the bike racing. Sounds to both of you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Pro Bike was won by Jim Ware of uh, Division 6. Uh, Jim collected the win over uh, a red lighting Jason Clampett out of Division 5. So um, don't know much about Jim, but I'm sure he's a talented motorcycle racer and he uh, gets the big win there for Division 6 and himself. So congratulations, Big Jim Ware. Uh, not to be overshadowed, obviously, we're recording this right after Pomona. The NHRA stuff is on the top of our minds. Um, also, IHRA World Championships crowned in Memphis just a few weeks back. Wanted to at least touch on and recognize those competitors in, as well. In the top ET category, that champion was Keith Cleveland. Keith hails from Lancaster National Dragway, which shouts to the folks at Lancaster's. That was my father's home track growing up. So good to wow. see Hometown boy from Lancaster, New York, getting it done in Memphis. Small world there in the mod category, which is the IHRA's bottom bulb. Again, can either swap feet or let uh, let go of the button. Had a foot swapper, and that was Dustin Avendet from Mocan Dragway. Dustin uh, from Missouri gets it done in the mod category for his first national championship there in IHRA. And a guy I'm pretty familiar with, he's been in the winner's circle at the WFC uh, at um, the SFC in uh, Holly Springs. So a guy that comes and swaps feet with us on occasion does quite well. No surprise there. Congratulations to Dustin for that mod championship. 
Dustin representing Carl Blanton and the fighting fighting Carls. I don't know what I just said there, but I meant to say fighting Carls. <laughs> but from Mocan Dragway, so score one for the can. <laughs> oh, Luke! In the sportsman yeah. category, in the sportsman category, Union Dragway's Dustin Carroll collects the win. And the sportsman category is uh, again bottom bulb, and that is only foot breaking, and uh, that's your slower bottom bulb class. And Dustin Carroll collects an IHRA national championship there for the folks at Union Dragway. And then juniors, I'm trying not to let you talk anymore right now. You've got to gather I, yourself. Up. I appreciate that. And the junior category from Knoxville Dragway was Caden Harrell. Caden is a, a racer that I believe we have mentioned a time or two here on the podcast with some junior wins. And uh, now Caden has an IHRA national championship for the folks at Knoxville Dragway. So congratulations to all of those IHRA champs as well. All right, since obviously I cannot enunciate anything on the IHRA side, I will turn this back to what I'm a little bit more familiar with, and that's back to Pomona. Uh, still uh, arguably the most dramatic um, NHRA event in, in recorded history for a lot of reasons. Um, but again, kind of sticking to the sportsman side of things for right now, as the the day played out, we saw two uh, like familiar isn't even a fair word like the most familiar faces we could see in sportsman finals advance to sportsman finals. It was Dan Fletcher, uh, who we previously discussed in uh, for winning in semifinal matchup with Kyle Rizzoli, obviously advanced to the final round in Superstock Eliminator. Meanwhile. David Rampey advanced to the final round in competition eliminator. Again, arguably the two most recognizable names in all of sportsman drag racing. Obviously the two winningest drivers in sportsman drag racing history, both having amassed over 100 wins. Both fell short in Pomona. Fletcher runner-up in Superstock, Rampey runner-up in Comp. The reason that this gets mentioned and the significance of it is this, and this is the crazy stat of the episode that completed a season 2019 in which neither dan fletcher nor david rampey won an nhra national event the last time that that happened 1993 wow the last time that we went a full season without david rampey or dan fletcher hoisting a national event wally think about that for a second jed that is 26 consecutive years in which one of in most cases both of those racers won an nhra national event yeah unbelievable run and certainly uh, one that i wasn't aware of until we were made aware of it by uh credit to austin williams there yes. for for getting that information to us, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago or maybe less, but I, Luke, I had no idea. But then when I saw the information, I'm like, you know, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I can't remember when those guys wasn't winning at least one or winning on a regular basis. So probably, uh, probably something that will never be duplicated again, especially with the, the competition and things today. But uh, I can't unbelievable I run. Yeah, I can't imagine that it would ever be duplicated again. And Austin went a step further and broke this down on each side for us. Uh, Dan Fletcher won his first NHRA national event in 1994. 
and had won one every single, at least one, every single season since. So that's 25 consecutive years of national event victories for Dan Fletcher that just came to an end. And keep in mind, it came to an end. The last two events of the season, he's runner-up in Super Comp at Vegas. He's runner-up in Superstock at Pomona. It's not like he's lost it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it almost went 26 straight. And Rampy is arguably even more impressive because Rampy got his first national event win in 1983. So 36 years ago. And in those 36 years, 2019 marked just the third season in which he did not score a national event. The other ones being 1993 and 2013. Those are incredible statistics. Yeah. First and foremost, Fletcher, uh, 25 years in a row, um, you've won at least one national event. That's unbelievable stretch by him and that's a whole lot of not listening to the radio on your way to the racetrack so even <laughs> even that and when you add that to it that is unbelievable so fletcher obviously one of the reasons that that he'll go down is one of if not the best sportsman racer ever and then rampy so luke i started in 1984 and i feel like i have been racing for a hundred years and this guy has won an nhra national event all but two years since 1983 that is that's uh, something that you would never dream could be accomplished and only somebody with the kind of talent and perseverance of uh, of a david rampy could go out and do that um you know obviously very talented still uh, fletcher as well makes great runs these guys are very competitive so the fact that they didn't win this year is not uh, that's not an indictment on their their talent or their skill level falling off. It's just, you know, the way it goes at times for most of us. But these guys have obviously gotten used to winning at a very high level for a long, long time. So definitely something that um, I don't think we'll ever see again. No, it's a, it's a crazy and ridiculous stat. And just uh, for our listeners that you, that you may have lost, Jed, the, the not listening to the radio on the way to the racetrack, if that flew over your head, go back and listen to the interview that we did with Dan Fletcher. He goes into that and much, much more. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it, was, it was one of the best interviews we ever had, without question. Yeah. Now, uh, again, we credited Austin Williams for, for bringing this to our attention. And to be completely honest, I, I keep up with Dan a little bit closer. I guess that maybe I just don't follow comp as much. So I, I thought, that he hadn't won a national event this year coming into Pomona. And I just assumed it's been a long time since Dan Fletcher didn't win a national event, uh, which it has. I didn't even realize that Rampy hadn't won a national event this year. And for that to happen for both of them in the same year is kind of bizarre given the history of the last 30 plus seasons. And to your point, Chad, to add some perspective, I first took the wheel of a junior dragster in 1993, the last time that we went a full season where one of these two didn't win an NHRA national event. And to your point, I feel like I've been racing uh, since water. So, I mean, I, I don't feel like a young pup. Um, okay, so we credited Austin for, for bringing this incredible stat to our uh, attention. But Austin, uh, in addition to informing us, he, he wanted to have a little fun with us. And Mark, I'll get you to key on your microphone here because it is my understanding that you know the answer 
to the, the trivia that he's about to give us. Jed, you ready for this trivia time? I am excited about it. Okay. Uh, see if we can guess this. Fletcher didn't win. Rampy didn't win Pomona. With their streaks now um, ended, what true sportsman racer, and when he uh, categorizes true sportsman racer, that's from comp down. So comp, super stock, stock, super comp, super gas, super street, top dragster, top sportsman. What true sportsman racer will now hold the longest active streak for years with at least one win in NHRA competition? We don't know the answer to this. What is your guess? All right. So, Luke, obviously, it's longest active streak, so it's got to be somebody that won this year. Uh, I wanted to cheat and just go back and look at national event winners this year. That would obviously narrowed it down. I would have had uh, less than whatever, 23. Come clean. You, you didn't cheat. I did not cheat. I wanted to. Okay, I didn't either. I didn't, I didn't look back at all, right? Okay. Because I'm terrible at this stuff. But, you know, then in my head, it's got to be someone that's done it for quite some time. You would think the longest active streak would be fairly long. So... See, I'm going to feel really dumb if I'm wrong here. I think the longest streak, active streak is like well under 10 years. Yeah. I don't think it's five, six years, something in that range. Would not surprise me at all. And it could very well be a younger racer that's only got eight or 10 years. I, I, I wanted to go with like a Justin Lamb, but I decided that I'm going to pick Jimmy DeFrank because I feel like it's a West Coaster. So I'm picking Jimmy DeFrank. I feel like Austin wouldn't have presented us with this if it wasn't tricky. Yeah. So I have a feeling that we're both going to look really dumb. <laughs> which, for me. which is not abnormal by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> um, like you, uh, yeah, I, I tried to think of the obvious. I've got three names in mind, and I'll just share it because then I've got like some chance of, of getting it right. Um, Justin Lamb, Gary Stinnett, Jeff Strickland. And if you ask me to pick one, like, I think I got to go with Lamb. I just, I can't envision a scenario in which he hasn't won a national event like five, six, seven years in a row. Maybe I'm wrong. And I think that might be the longest active streak. So, so that's my guess. Mark, tell us how wrong we are. You guys actually, well, Jed, uh, Jed's first guess was right. And your guess was correct. Boom. All right. Wow. I feel smart. Wow. What is, what is the streak? Eight, eight years, 2012 through 2019. Wow. You know, that's going to so look like we cheated because you said <laughs> it, I, I got a feeling it's under 10 years and we both said Justin Lamb, but I know you didn't cheat because I know you love trivia and I wouldn't have known how to take the time to look that up anyway. And I didn't guess him. I guessed Jimmy DeFrank. That was really my actual guess. So, Still pretty cool though that we uh, we got him. That was that's good stuff. I'm impressed. We both got it. All right, yeah. cool. Um, all right, so the the main drama at Pomona was in the pro classes. Well, I spent a ton of time on it, but I just think a lot of it applies, and a lot of it had roots in sportsman racing. And I know it's what everybody's talking about. So we're gonna dive into that. But first, Jed, let's pay a couple bills. BTE Black Friday sale is back with 20% off of virtually all BTE products. Browse their selections now so you're ready to take advantage of the best prices on torque converters and transmissions. Luke Bogacki Motorsports 
is taking Black Friday orders now. Orders will ship shortly after Thanksgiving. Take advantage by visiting thisisbracketracing.com backslash parts and enter the promo code BTE Black Friday. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Let's take just a minute to discuss motorsports insurance, specifically Larice Motorsports Insurance. If you're anything like me, you know of someone, uh, whether it's a friend, someone within your racing family that has lost everything, whether that be through everything racing related, whether that be via fire or theft, highway accident, on-track accident. And if you're anything like me, you've also realized that you have a significant portion of your net worth tied up in your racing equipment. Maybe more than we would like to admit, right? This is, after all, our passion, and it can become a bit of a money pit. What you may not know is that there are options to insure your racing equipment, race cars, trailers, support equipment, both on the track and off, and that doing so is not as costly as you might expect. To do that, for me personally, I chose Larice Motorsports Insurance. They're a great company offering an excellent product and they stand behind it. Now, I've been so impressed with Larice and their commitment to excellence in this regard that we've partnered with them through thisisbracketracing.com. Our own team member, Ashley Thompson, is a licensed broker for Larice Motorsports Insurance. If this is something that you would entertain, that you would like to know more about and or get a quote for your particular op- application, contact us. Go to thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote and Ashley will get back in touch with you. Again, that is thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote. Now, Luke, on to a topic that we definitely do not discuss with regularity here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast because this is going to be centered around the professional categories, but there are some sportsman roots and sportsman ties to some of the things that we're going to discuss. And we'll start out in Pro Stock Motorcycle, where that championship was decided on the last run. And it, wow, what drama there was around that. Yeah, to, let's complete transparency. Actually, first off, Jed, how about the countdown? Like, I was not necessarily on board with that when NHRA first announced it. Because like anybody, like I'm kind of weary of change. That is awesome. Like the yesterday, what happened at Pomona? I actually, I don't ever watch the live TV. Call me not a fan or whatever. Like I just, I just not that invested in watching the pros. I watched most of that show and I couldn't stop watching it. Like that was really, really incredible TV in essentially every category. Yeah, I'm not necessarily a fan of a championship being able to be won by the racer that did not perform the best from the start of the year to the end of the year. But in terms of what the goal was for the countdown, 
it is mission accomplished, no it doubt. Absolutely creates drama. And to your point earlier, complete transparency. There is no NHRA category that I care about less than pro stock motorcycle. Okay, and we established earlier that we have two listeners that cared about winning the 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 Sportsman ET Championship or the Pro Bike Champ, whatever they call it. Sorry, right? Of those, we probably lose half of them when we start talking about Pro Stock Motorcycle, right? Like, I don't care. I don't think our listener base cares. Pro Stock Motorcycle yesterday was awesome. I mean, all Andrew Hines had to do was win first round over a competitor that he's got covered like two tenths. And I guess he lets the bike roll backwards out of the beam and he's red. So he's out. So now I think at first it's, okay, well, it's Matt Smith and Jerry Sawa and me being the, the innocent bystander who knows nothing about post-up motorcycle. I'm like, well, they got to win the race. What are the odds of that? And then it's really apparent when you watch second round, like, oh, these are by far the two best bikes in the class. Like one of them's going to win the race. <laughs> and so it was Salinas. I, sorry, I don't remember her first name that was the beneficiary of Andrew Hines' mistake in, in round one. So she's head-to-head -head with Matt Smith in the semis, and I'm rooting for Matt Smith. Like, he ran super comp at Charlotte. That's cool. Always been a Ricky Smith fan, right? Well, somehow or another, Matt, who's got her covered over a tenth, he doesn't win in semis. So then it's Savoie and her in the final. Now, Savoie wins the race. He wins the championship. And it's like they're even interviewing him beforehand. It's a foregone conclusion. Like, he's got her covered over a tenth. There's no way he's not going to win. Yeah. And then you go, I'm watching it live on TV. Like he goes to start the bike in the burnout and it's got a miss, which don't those things have one cylinder? How do you have a miss? I don't know. <laughs> right. It's over my head, obviously, but something's wrong. So he stages, she doesn't go red. The competitive, like the, the Matt Smith in one round went 687. She goes 746 or something in the final. She's a half second off the pace wins and knocked out every championship contender along the way. Matt Hines is probably getting on the airplane. Like, if I was him, I'd be throwing back long necks, right? Just trying to drown my pain. And he gets a <laughs> phone call, hey, come back to the track. You just won the world championship. Like, what an amazing chain, chain of events. Like, it was awesome. It was. It was really cool the way it worked out. And, uh, the you know, the drama was obviously there for many reasons. The countdown, again, created that. But... It was a foregone conclusion. There was no way Savoie could have watched her leave, let go yes. of the clutch, run by her, and smiled on his way by. He and could have said, I give you the jump. <laughs> let the hat hit. Yeah, but, uh, that's that's why we don't run the races on paper, right? That's right, but she got the win. So, okay. So, staying with Pro Stock, Luke. The, uh, that's, this, that was motorcycle. This was so bizarre to me because it it was such a big thing. Why was this a big thing? Okay, so <laughs> in Pro Stock Car, Eric Anders, odds on favorite. She came in in the lead. I think Jeggy was second. Greg Anderson was third. Maybe Butner was in there somewhere. Uh, I Pat think Line was third. Anderson okay. was trying to help Line, I believe. No, Anderson had a shot. Okay, he did? Okay, I must yeah. understood that. My understanding, I had a mathematical shot. The only way that Greg Anderson wins the championship is for Erica to lose in round one and Greg Anderson to win the race. Okay. Yeah. So what do you do if you're Greg Anderson? What do I do if I'm Greg Anderson? We try to hook Erica in round one. Yep. Can't chase her to the lanes. Right. You got to get this done on the ladder. You can manipulate the ladder, which they all talked like this was brilliant. Like, oh, shut off early and try to get in the 15 hole because Erica's going to be second because Jeg's going to get first because they're teammates. Right. Erica, friend of the podcast, by the way. Yes. Podcast bump. 
So, been on both sides of the situation. In well, in 2011, I think it was Ray Ray had to lose first round. I had to win the race to take over the national points lead. So what did I do? I chased Ray Ray up first round. I missed him by a car, but I was trying to get him, and he knew that I was trying to get him, and he realized it. He'd have done the same thing. Would have the roles been reversed? In 2012, it was 2010. I don't know what I'm talking about with Ray Ray. 2012, the year Al Kenny won the world championship. It's the damnedest thing you ever saw, Jed, because at the Vegas points meet, Al's leading. He had to lose first round. I had to win the event. And Stefan Condole was somewhere between us. Like he needed Al to lose early and he needed to go deep. And I did a better job of driving on the way to the staging lanes to avoid crashing in the pits <laughs> than I did on the racetrack because it was madness. Al was flanked by his son, Jason, and his daughter, Samantha. And which they did, what they did was smart. Like Al was in front. He's going to the short lane to make sure that he doesn't have to run one of us. And then Jason and Samantha are falling in behind them on the idea that they're going to hook one of us when we try to go up there for, for Al. And I was like, discretion got the better of valor for me because they're rolling through the pits literally like nose to tire at 30, 40 miles an hour. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not trying to get between there. Condole did try to get between there. <laughs> I mean, it was dangerous, right? But everybody knew what we were doing and everybody's fine with it because we just understand like, that's the only chance I have to win the championship. You would do the same thing if I were you, right? Sure. They made this such a big deal, like it was somehow unsportsmanlike. Like, if I'm Greg Anderson, I'm trying to run Erica. And if I'm Erica, I expect Greg Anderson to try to run me. Why is this such a, why was this so newsworthy? Well, I think it's unprecedented. You know, those those guys obviously are first to finish, and, and that's typically your winner. And to manipulate the ladder or even attempt to, to, position yourself to pair someone is something i don't think i've seen in pro stock Luke. no i don't think i have either it just blows me away that like everybody would oh my goodness they're brilliant for having thought of that we've been doing that for 20 years yeah but it's now, freaking phenomenal how he did it no what i that's that was my next point was the intention to do that is one thing actually being able to pull it off because you put in a pro stock car in a window that was like two or three hundredths of a second max and he did it and got her first round. Like that's impressive. And then the run that they had, especially after the the drama is built up because he's obviously kind of calling her out, trying to run her. The run that they had was amazing. I think Greg's sixteen, Erica's seventeen. They run within five thousandths of each other. It's four thousandths margin of victory for Erica to essentially seal her championship. That was awesome. And that type of stuff there, I don't know because I just I don't know the inner workings of pro stock. Like a part of me wants to think that the drama end of this was staged, like these guys all get along and we're, the drama end of this is just to get eyeballs on, on the class. If that's the case, that's brilliant. I don't know if that's the case or not, but regardless, mission accomplished. We got eyeballs on the class that created a ton of interest. And then I think equally importantly, the matchup lived up to the hype. Yes, it did. And it's created a ton of conversation both before the run and after the run. But you think about Greg Anderson. So he, he takes his shot. He, he lands on the ladder where he needs to land and takes his shot at her and makes a, a wonderful run for that category. He was probably in the top two or three runs of the round and comes up short. You got a nothing to lose attitude in his lane. And then you got Erica that seemingly was disturbed by his tactics if you will or antics and 
then she's got kind of a, a lot to lose attitude in her lane. And for her to make the run that she made beside him to get by him was just a testament again to her ability. She's she is not just some chick driving a pro stalker. She is one of the better drivers in that category, and she continues to prove it time and time again. That woman is unflappable, Jed. It's a what she does. I think she's probably, in my opinion, she's the best driver in that category, and she seems to elevate it when the stakes get raised, which is rare. I think it's super impressive. Yeah, and while this isn't a result show, just want to throw a little shout out to our boy Jeggy for getting it done in the last race there too. So after all that, he did collect the Wally. So good job, Jeggy. Yeah, yeah, especially with uh, all the in-car sh- shots adorned with the uh, the big nasty logos. I like that. Yeah. It was a nice touch. Uh, all right. None of that, Luke. No, we we buried the lead for sure. <laughs> Compares to what we're about to talk about. What in the world, Stevo? <laughs> what? Okay, just in case you're living under a rock, Jed, take us through what happened in the first round of Top Fuel at Pomona. Well, obviously you got Steve Torrance uh, in contention, leading for the the world championship in Top Fuel. He is racing the less qualified Cameron Foray, our sportsman rooted buddy Cameron Foray of uh, formerly of race pack now driving um terry haddock's top fuel dragster so foray is kind of throwing caution to the wind and going to take a shot at you know maybe disrupting torrents whatever he can do and there is a staging tactic where he's going to roll it deep and try to throw torrents off and that was mission accomplished it did exactly that. I don't remember. Torrance was, uh, yeah, was 140 something, right? 30, 140 on the tree, and and uh, Foray accomplishes the goal. But apparently, Torrance did get the win. He gets by him. Apparently, at the top end, Luke, uh, things went downhill quickly from there as Torrance took major exception to the way that Foray approached the run. Yeah, like I'm watching the post-race interview and Steve-O gets out of the car in a bit of a huff and you can tell that he's disturbed. And he said like something really smart alecky in his own interview before the confrontation even happened to the effect of, yeah, I mean, that kid don't have a prayer out here. I don't know what he's trying to do. And then yeah. goes over to, you know, this starts off as a, as a handshake, but Steve-O's in Cameron's ear, obviously voicing his displeasure. And Cameron says, hey, man, what do you want me to do? Or something to this effect. And the next thing you know, Steve-O, it's not a punch. It's not really a bitch slap. He, like, he like <laughs> put, his, he put his palm under Cameron's yeah. chin and shoved him, right? Yeah, he just kind of open hand face grabbed him and, and pushed his face backwards. Now, Cameron, now I love him. And, and he's a guy that is obviously not huge in stature. So... Cameron probably well, weighs either less than 140. That's, that's the visually comical part of all of this, is that they're both like 120 pounds soaking wet, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he's under 140, I would guess. So it, it made it look like he had just been hit by a, a locomotive. <laughs> I mean, he, he went backward about six feet and like almost went matrix on him with the way that it, it contorted his body. But Did he draw the foul? Did he draw a charge? <laughs> no, uh, no blood, no foul, and there was no blood, so... 
That it made it look a lot worse than what the actual action was, but still, it started a storm that not going to be finished anytime soon. I don't think. Well, obviously, it's not a good look for Steve-O. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I really thought, I don't know if you saw the post-trace interviews, I thought Cameron's reaction in his interview was was spot on because basically he said, yeah, like, Steve-O's right. We are severely undermanned here. You know, I'm the 16 qualifier. He's the one qualifier. I can't run within two-tenths of him, like, I don't technically have a shot unless he makes a mistake, but all I can do is try to induce him to make a mistake. And yes, I realize what's on the line for him. Yes, he's racing for a championship. Yes, he's racing for more than I'm racing for, but this where I'm at, this opportunity to quote-unquote not have a chance in this round is what I've lived my entire life for, is this chance to get here. It's what I work for day in and day out. And I'm trying to win the race no different than he is, which we can all resonate with that, right? Sure. I don't want to say it's unfortunate for, for Steve Torrance because I feel like he gets what he deserves in terms, in terms of public sentiment. Like, this, it's a bad look. But the narrative is that Steve-O is a, a spoiled rich kid, and that definitely got reinforced, right? Now, knowing Steve-O a little bit, like, I'm not sure that that narrative is completely accurate and fair. Like, I raced with Steve and his father when they were running Supercomp. And I'm not going to say that they didn't have means, but they didn't have the means they have now. Like, they, they worked their way up. It's not like Steve's been a, a silver spoon child all his life, right? And <laughs> this brings about, we'll circle back to this, but NHRA's decision, which I, I'm pretty sure that it is in the rule book somewhere, that if there is, like, a physical altercation, if you I don't know how it's worded, like, if you physically assault another driver you're disqualified from the event. If that's not on the rule book, it probably <laughs> should be, right? So obviously there was no disqualification and that may seem bizarre. We'll, we'll circle back to that later because I don't want to take away from, from this part of the conversation. But I'll just say this for Steve because I, I strive for, I guess, equanimity. Like I, I take pride in kind of being able to see both sides of things. And I think in this instance, it's impossible to justify Steve's actions. And even in his post-race interview second round, he said, you know, he, he apologized to his fans. He said, hey, I'm sorry for being an idiot. His words, not mine, right? But coming into this event, think back to Steve-O's history in Top Fuel. In 2017, he lost the championship in Pomona to Brittany Force, who was battling with this time around. And the narrative around that 2017 performance is that he choked, right? He, he as a driver, did not perform at the last event of the season. They came back and won the championship a year ago in 2018, but it was never in doubt. They ran the table. Like, they won every race of the countdown. So there was, it's not fair to say there was no pressure, but there was certainly no pressure coming into Pomona. It was over. So I think from his standpoint, there's a lot of pressure this time around to prove that 2017 was an aberration. Now, that pressure is completely self-induced. But when he comes up against Cameron Frey first round, like, he's the overwhelming favorite like the only way that he yeah. loses that round is to screw up and i just think that's difficult mentally and it's easy then to take personally like what cameron did as a sign of disrespect now i'm circling back i'm not again not taking steve's side here i'm, I'm trying to, to provide a little bit of perspective but the only comparison that i can make to this and this is not apples to apples by any stretch of the imagination and i'll, I'll explain 
you'll understand why as I go. But uh, a couple of years ago, I got involved in the NHRA Super Comp Chase, and it led me to Salt Lake City, Utah, of all places, right? Needed to make up some divisional races, whatever. I'm in Utah, the, the other side of the world, at least in my mind, from where I live. You did a podcast episode from there, Luke. I did. How about that? Search back through the archives for that <laughs> one, folks. So in this race in Utah, I get paired up with this dude. I don't know. It was fairly early in the race, second, third round. And we pull up to the staging lanes for, for pairing. And I don't know who this guy is. You know I mean? He's a Division Seven racer. I don't know any of them. But he comes walking up to me, like, phone in hand to, to take a picture. I don't realize this is the guy that I'm racing. And he says, smile. And I, so I look at him and smile. And he takes my picture. And he goes, and he tells me, that's what Luke Bugacki looked like before I kicked his ass. <laughs> I'll come back by your trailer later for the follow-up picture. <laughs> And I said, okay, okay, right? It completely caught me off guard. I had no idea what to say. But I'm like, this dude here, like, I'm racing for a freaking world championship. Now, I keep in mind, this dude is there racing. And, 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 and keep in mind, too, that we're in Salt Lake City, Utah, which ain't close to nobody. Right? I don't know where this dude's from. It ain't Utah. So he drove a long way to get there, too. Like, I don't expect him to, to lay down for me. I don't expect him to try not to win the race. But just go beat me on the racetrack. Like, there's no need for this, right? Especially given the situation. And it gets better because then the dude, like, he walks off. And then he comes back to flip for lanes or whatever. And he's like, so we flip. And he says, I'm about to be 20 and a couple thou under. What you going to do with that? My first thought in my mind is, I don't give a damn what you do after you're 20. If you're 20, you lose, Right. I ain't trying to be that. Whatever. I I don't say a word. I just smile and shrug it off. But I am steaming, you know? So here's where this is the difference in the story. Like, to my knowledge, Cameron didn't do any of that, right? Like, there's no no trash talking. And to to me, like, do whatever you want to do once we get between the lines. Like, that, the, the trash talk part of it's uncalled for. And I just felt disrespected. And I feel like because, like, whatever you think of me, that's fine. But have a little bit of respect for the what I'm racing for. doesn't mean that you're not trying to win. Like, I could just imagine. I don't, I don't have insight to this information. But just knowing Dan Fletcher and the way that he operates and his perspective, I can imagine that the semifinal between him and Kyle Rizzoli at Pomona went something like this. Now, keep in mind, Kyle's still in stock eliminator. I'd imagine Dan came to him in the staging lanes. As Kyle was running stock, he's got to come back for super stock. We're on a short timetable and told him, listen, take all the time that you need. I am not going to let them run without me. I'm not going to change my dial into the last second. I'm going to tell you right now, here's what I'm dialed. Here's the lane that I'm going to so that you can prepare. Now, once we get out there, I'm going to try to whip your butt because this is what I do for a living. But I'm going to make this as fair as possible for both of you because I understand what it is that you're competing for. I guarantee I would bet money that some semblance of that conversation was had. And that's the way that that should be handled. So the difference, now again, my situation and Steve-O's, not that they're, again, apples to apples, is that like I just went out and took care of business, much like Erica Anders did, right? She probably felt disrespected in some respect for, to Greg Anderson, but you know what she did? She went out there and she kicked his butt and drove like she was capable of. I think what upset Steve as much as anything was the fact that, it screwed him up and he was late and he was embarrassed. 
so like yeah. the takeaway is that yes you're racing for more than the other guy and steve host faith there's more on the line for you than there is for cameron Frey. but that doesn't mean that they don't want to win and you've got to respect that and it's obvious in his actions and his words that he didn't now should that taint his title yeah 100 percent, and it will it has the question i guess now is should that strip him of his title that I don't know the answer to, because if you go by the letter of the law, again, my understanding, maybe you should have been disqualified. But kind of back to our initial discussion, Jed, the, the countdown is awesome for drama, right? And the next round is the round. It's Steve-O versus Brittany, essentially for the world championship. And that's drama. And that's an opportunity for it to be decided on the racetrack. In my mind, the goal for NHRA is to promote drama, not necessarily to create drama or be in the center of it. And if they disqualify Steve Torrance, there's obviously drama, but it's like self-induced that NHRA puts themselves right in the middle of it. So I'm actually a fan of saying we can't have this and I'm sure there will be penalties coming down, but ultimately we want this championship to be decided on the racetrack. I don't fault them at all for that. No, I agree. Uh, they they will issue uh, just punishment, I'm sure, and there'll be some monetary loss to that for, with that punishment, I'm sure. But what it boils down to, and, and you touched on it a little while back when you started talking about it, the, the very first thing that he said was, yeah, this kid doesn't have a chance. I thought, how rude and, and terrible thing to say about somebody fighting – if it wasn't for the people that don't have a chance, that class would have died a long time ago. There are very few racers in the category that on paper have a chance, that have the funding, the people, the knowledge, the equipment, everything to go out and and consider themselves truly competitive for the NHRA World Championship. So without the Cameron Ferrays of the world, you don't have a class to race in, bud. So be appreciative. And I, if I remember correctly, I don't know that he was ever severely underfunded, but Torrance, when he started this whole thing, was a guy that they beat up on pretty good. He doesn't remember his roots very well, it would be something that I would say. And every time there's been some type of drama around that championship uh, with Brittany Force and around this, he has not given himself a very good look. He's whomever he's representing out there is not getting represented professionally for sure. So the guy really should take a step back and and think about where he come from and how important it is to have the number 16 qualifier in the field every week. So you get to continue racing at the level you get to race at just a bad deal all the way around. Hopefully uh, they get him corrected. Well said, Jed. I think we've got a couple little tidbits, notes to follow up on, and we will call this a show. What's on tap, Jed? It's 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 late November. What could possibly be on tap? Oh, we've got we've got news for the biggest event on the calendar in 2020. It is the Great American Guaranteed Million Memorial Day weekend at Memphis International Raceway. Big Jed, what is the latest from the Great American Guaranteed Million? Luke, a lot of stuff uh, coming out of the, the Great American Guaranteed Million right now. Um, first and foremost, I believe there are under 
a hundred entries available now. I think they got into the double digits uh, in the past few days. So 99 or less, these things are going to start going quick. So if you want in, get in, check them out. The Great American Guaranteed Bracket Race, Guaranteed Million page, and uh, get yourself signed up. Uh, Luke, they have uh, got a major sponsor announcement coming for the factory stock showdown. They're expecting 30 of these bad, small tire factory stock cars to come out and put on a heck of a show. And they've got a major sponsorship announcement coming for that very soon. Uh, they've got uh, some racer appreciation parties scheduled for several nights. CP Racing Promotions, which is our buddy Cody Pollage, going to be uh, sponsoring the racers dinner on Friday night. Uh, the great folks at FTI are going to be sponsoring the racer appreciation party on Saturday. And Weldon Fuel Pumps are going to be sponsoring Sunday's racers dinner. Now, keep in mind, this is over Memorial Day weekend, so the racing will uh, be happening Sunday, and then you'll have, uh, obviously, Monday going on. So that's why they're having a party on Sunday evening. And uh, they let us know, which we didn't expect any less with the Bayou Boys being involved, that there will be adult beverages at all the dinners and parties. So those of you who uh, want to come for some good eats and drinks, got some great sponsors there. It's going to be making that happen for the racers. And, uh, Luke, they got big stuff coming. There are lots of huge announcements coming at the uh, Straight Line Strategy Group press conference at the PRI show. A uh, portion of the press conference will be dedicated to just the Great American uh, Great American Bracket Race million, guaranteed million. Uh, and that, again, is going to happen at the PRI show at Straight Line Strategy Group press conference. So um, aside from that, just keep your eye on that Great American Bracket Race guaranteed million Facebook page. These guys are going to be putting out teasers all along the way, all the way up to the time we run the event. Uh, Memorial Day weekend in 2020. So big news coming out of this uh, guaranteed million race and lots of great sponsors getting on board to make it even better if that's possible. I can't wait for May. Likewise, I'm excited. I think that's all we got, Ted. I mean, we we, we touched on a lot. We, we, talked, we talked Cameron Ferre and Steve Torrance on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Yeah, this was big. It was a great podcast. Uh, lots of cr- champions uh, crowned and discussed, and uh, we even got into the pro ranks that we very rarely do. So, trivia time. You had trivia, yeah. Thank you, Austin Williams. Um, really good stuff. Talked about a lot of legends in the sport too. So, wonderful podcast. That does wrap us up. I definitely um, want to say thanks to our great sponsor, BTE. Uh, folks are really good to us. Luke, they got Black Friday sale coming on. Uh, that's um, going to be available through Luke Bogacki Motorsports. Uh, certainly can get all of BT's products that are going to be on the sale, which is 20% off. Uh, all the products that they're going to have under that 20% off umbrella can be purchased right there through your company. So folks, reach out to Luke. Let him help you. Find it on thisisbracketracing.com. Big Jed, I got some shouts. First time in a long time. We're bringing it back. All right. I love this. All right. Let's do it. Let let me make sure that I got my tongue right, because I'm going to start by shouting out Mocan Dragway and Carl Blanton. (laughs) Yes. The fighting Carls. Yes. The fighting Carls. Yes. (laughs) Also, shouts to Jim Rod Cap. Jim Rod Cap. Jim Rod Cap. 
for his runner-up performance in the NHRA National Supergas Point standings. Uh, all jokes aside, Jim Capiello, sir, congratulations on an excellent season. Shouts to Cameron Ferre and Steve O. Torrance and the light middleweight title. <laughs> Shouts to Austin. Maybe featherweight. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know the right verbiage there. So we'll go with that. Shouts, shouts to Austin for uh, for presenting us with some trivia time. Shouts to Justin Lamb. Can't believe we both got that right. I feel so smart. Shouts to Fletcher. Shouts to Rambo. Shouts to Jimmy DeFrank. Um, I don't even know if Jimmy won a race this year, but still a good guess. Um, shouts to, uh, to was it Jim Ware? It was Jim Ware. Jim Ware and both of our listeners who cared about the motorcycle class um, yeah. shout out chad chad osley for that yes yes if, if chad even listens to the show <laughs> if he is he's probably still not listening for 84 minutes in um <laughs> and shouts to the 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 one of those listeners that cared about our press stop motorcycle conversation shouts also to gianna salinas gianna i apologize for not remembering your first name wanted sure. to make sure that i got that in and shouts as well to that dude who will remain anonymous from Utah. Shouts to you, buddy. Shouts. <laughs> One question, Luke. Was he 20 and a couple thou under? Yes. Well, good he, shot. He was absolutely as advertised. He called it. Yes. He, he did not win. All right, guys. Be it, sure to tell us what you think. <laughs> well, it was close because what? I made it close. <laughs> messages right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can send us messages right there and tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you want to see, or what you're tired of seeing or hearing. Or you can at either Luke or myself right there on the Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. That wraps us up. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to come back and talk to you some more about sportsman drag racing. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom ball before a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Pennington. I was in my Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, 
This is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.